So this morning, if you would turn in your Bible to the Gospel of John, this morning we're going to consider verses uh, 1 through 27 of chapter 11. The normative way we as a church uh, gather on Sunday morning, the sermon is uh, out of a book of the Bible that we are going through sequentially. Uh, That is our normal mode. We begin in prayer And then we'll read the entirety of the text that we're considering, and then uh, I will break down the passage, making observations and applications along the way. So first, let us uh, pray. Uh, Father, we pray for all who gather in Christ this morning here and in churches all around the county, Yamhill and Washington County. We pray uh, for the body that will gather at uh, Baker Creek Church this morning. We pray for Pastor Dax that you would use him uh, to bring your word clearly and rightly to your people. We need your grace here this morning to hear and receive your word, to entrust ourselves to your grace and enabling us to live out the truths that you will deliver to us through your word this morning. We pray uh, for our friend Barbara and Jerry this morning. Pray that you would give Jerry strength and comfort and peace uh, as he navigates the unknown of Barbara's health. We give you praise that you have uh, healed her from COVID and that you are uh, healing her uh, kidneys as we speak and that um, she's making much improvement, Lord, and we are thankful for that. Uh, We pray, Lord, that you would continue uh, to do a work in her life and that you would continue to give uh, Jerry, extra measure of strength and peace in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let us read John chapter 11, verses 1 through 27. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, He whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sisters and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you are going uh, there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. 
Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming in to the world. This is the infallible, inerrant, inspired Word of God for us this morning. So the life that we live is hidden in Christ with God. I want us to begin thinking that way as we start to unfold this passage for each one of us as we're applying what is going on here. Think about this. The life that we now live is hidden in Christ with God. But I'm sure that you, like me, are trying to make sense of all the tragedy that's going on around us in the world. The fallen state of the world affects us all, doesn't it? Death, illnesses, strivings, toils. They come at us. And it, it seems that they are continuing to come and they are coming at an ever-increasing pace, it seems. When trouble comes, guess what, though? We're often left with unanswered questions, aren't we? We think we know what's going on, and we have these questions that just never seem to get answered. One of the questions that we often have in times of trouble is we wonder when, how, or even if relief will ever come. When we're going through the middle of a trial, will relief come? How will it come? When will it come? Will it come at all? In the uncertain times, in the uncertain world that we live in, we have to ask ourselves, what is our purpose in this life? How do we live the abundant life that Jesus promises, knowing that our time here is but a vapor? We're here one minute and gone the next. Our text this morning will help us answer these questions of how now shall we live in light of trouble, in light of toil, in light of illness, in light of certain physical death. There's a known medical fact that 10 out of every 10 people die, right? 10 out of 10 people are going to die a physical death. Let us jump into John 11, and we're going to look more closely, and let's look at the first uh, four verses, and then we'll move forward. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So previously, to get us caught up, we're in context of where we've been, that Jesus has traveled to the other side of the Jordan. The Jewish leaders are determined now to try and convict Jesus of blasphemy. The tragic illegal trial of Jesus' death is imminent. It is coming soon. And Jesus know, knows that what is soon to come uh, will be the end of his earthly ministry. He knows that, that soon, this time that he has here on earth is coming to an end, that, that his mission is soon to be complete. 
a little over two miles from the city that, that wants Jesus dead, is where Jesus is, hears of this story in Bethany. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Three people that Jesus loves deeply. They bring news uh, of Mary and Martha's brother, saying that he is gravely ill. Well, if we remember, Jesus has just said in chapter 10, verse 10, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And in 1028, he says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hands. So the sisters get a message to Jesus and they say, Lord, one of the sheep to whom you promised abundant life, one whom you said would never perish, one whom you gave the gift of eternal life that no one can snatch from your hand, Lord, it is he who you love is ill. We should notice Jesus answer in verse 4 but when Jesus heard it he said this illness does not lead to death Jesus is saying something here Jesus knowing knowing what is going to befall him when he gets to Jerusalem namely that his trial is coming his crucifixion is coming he says death is not the end of me and neither is it the end for Lazarus when he says this is an illness that does not lead to death, he's saying death is not the end. Death is not the end for me, and death is not the end of Lazarus. The promise of the abundant life will not be robbed from Lazarus. Not even death on a cross can snatch one of my sheep from my hand. The end of, of this illness is not death. Ultimately, is not death. The abundant life is promised. The abundant eternal life is not to be measured in the number of days you have on earth. Is basically what he's saying. The abundant life, we like to measure it by the number of days that we have. Some of us have had a lot of days and some of us have had not so many. And we've lost people who had not so many days. But the measure of the abundant life is not in the number of days that we have here on earth. Another thing is that the number, the, the, the abundant life, is also not measured by the ease or comfort with which we live in this life. We often like to measure that, don't we? I have the abundant life because I live at ease and comfort. Surely that's what God would want for me, is ease and comfort. That would be the abundant life in our human estimation of things, right? Comfort, ease, and length of days. But the abundant life is not measured in those ways. The abundant life is a purposed life. The abundant life is a principled life in the finite days that you have been given. It is a life, the abundant life is purposed. It's principled. You're going to see what I mean when I read the rest of verse 4. This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. The Son of God may be glorified through it. See, Jesus lived an abundant life, knowing that his earthly ministry only had a few weeks left. He's only got a few weeks left before the cross. But he had the abundant life because he had a principled life. The overriding principle in Jesus' life, what is it? The glory of God. In wrongful persecution, it was the glory of God. In death on a cross, the glory of God. 
God the Father's overriding principle? That Jesus in life and in death would be glorified. In tragedy, Jesus would be glorified through it. In Lazarus' illness, Jesus would be glorified through it. The abundant life is a principled life. I would ask us to evaluate that as Christians. What is the overriding principle of your life? See, the gift of eternal life is a principled life. It is a purposed life. It gives meaning to illness. It gives meaning to tragic losses. It gives meaning to persecutions. It gives meaning to the inevitable inevitable end of our earthly existence. The abundant life is a principled life. You see, the Westminster divines, they state that the chief end of human existence is to glorify God and to fully enjoy Him forever. The purpose of tragedy and trouble, it seems here, is that through it, Christ Jesus will be glorified. This is the abundant life of promise. See, death is not the end. This life is not all there is. To live a life that makes sense of all this, the Christian has in his mind and her heart and purpose this overriding principle to God be the glory. Jesus embraced and lived this principle, purposed, abundant life. And he gives this life to the ones who hear his voice. If you ignore the voice of the good shepherd, if you have ignored the voice of the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, death is the best that you can expect. Death in this life is the best that you can get. This life is as good as it's ever going to get for you. You can expect the same toils, strivings, tragedies that Christians go through, and in the end, your purpose is you are food for worms. That's at best. And you experience then eternal judgment, eternal punishment. If you do not hear the voice of Christ today, or if you've ignored his voice, the end of all this tragedy and all this struggle and this brief vapor of a life is that you become food for worms and eternally judged by the Father. Night after night, you will have in eternal flames the never-ending principle. See, the, the Christian has this never-ending principle in front of them, right? The glory of God and that Jesus Christ is glorified in my life and my troubles and my good times and my bad times, all of that. But the one who is not in Christ, they have an overriding principle for eternity. Night after night, in, in the flames of hell, they will still be under this overriding, never-ending principle for them, and it will be this, forever damned. This is what they will see, is forever damned for eternity. That will be the overriding principle in the one who rejects Jesus Christ. See, today, Jesus Christ is the door through which you must come to leave the kingdom of darkness and walk in the kingdom of light. Jesus is the good shepherd who is calling you to follow him as he leads you into the abundant life to the praise and glory of God. It is Jesus that will be glorified in you as you find the purpose of suffering in this fallen world. Will you follow the good shepherd? Will you walk through the only door there is to eternal life? And that is the person of Jesus Christ. 
Not only is the abundant eternal life, the principled life that glorifies God the Father and Jesus Christ in a fallen world, but it is a life that is purposed and intentional now. It is a life that redeems this transitory short time that we have on earth. Let's look at verses 5 through 10. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. Are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, but because he, uh, he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Because the light is not in him, Jesus says. See, keep in mind that Jesus has this overriding principle, right? The overriding principle of the glory of the Father. And that in Lazarus' illness, Jesus knows that he will be glorified through it. Jesus loves this family. Yet he delays. Yet he doesn't come. He stays two more days in the place where he is. He has great love for them, right? He's not, not compassionate towards them and their loss and their struggle. But he stays two days because he has great love for them. And he knows what is greater for them is that they would see the glory of God. And that he himself is going to be glorified through their struggle and their trial. And that is more loving than just going there and immediately doing what it is that they desire for him to do. So he delays. He's not callous at all. Uh, it's because his love, in his love, the principle of God's glory is that which overrides everything else. This abundant life, this principled life, is that the glory of God overrides everything. That it overrides even love. That it is greater than love to him. The glory of God is greater than his feelings of love and compassion for Lazarus, Martha, and for Mary. The glory of God. See, he's not callous in this two-day delay toward the siblings and specifically Lazarus. He is purposed and he is intentional. We know the end of the story. You and I know the end of the story that, that Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. But his sisters don't know how this scenario is going to play out, do they? They have this question in their hearts. Will he recover? Can he recover? Yes, Jesus can heal him. Will he heal him? Will he die? How then are you and I supposed to live in this life with so many unanswered questions? We have questions like, will I always struggle with this particular affliction in my body? We ask questions like, why didn't God heal my Aunt Betty's cancer if he loved her so much? How long, O oh Lord, will you allow evil to go unpunished? How are we to live knowing that our days are numbered? Notice Jesus says, let's go to Judea. It is there that the Jews desire to charge and kill him. And the disciples say, what? The disciples say, why would you go there? It's a death sentence. And Jesus answers them, are there not 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. 
the abundant life, the principled life, the eternal life of Christ was purposed and it was intentional. It was an intentional life, a life that is lived eternally, lives to redeem the temporary life that we have. While it is day, it is time to work. While there is time, the abundant life of Christ purposed to accomplish the Father's will and the Father's work. We've seen this throughout John's Gospel that Jesus said the will of God and the work of God must be done while I have time. While I'm here, I must be working. The same is true for us, Christians, as we uh, understand the temporary life that we live, this temporal life, is that the abundant eternal life that has been given to you and me as a gift is a purposed life that, that redeems the time that we have. We walk in Jesus Christ in the time that we have. There is purpose for Jesus knowing that his time is short. I'm going to accomplish the work that I was sent to do to the praise and glory of God. You see, glory and death are coming. The glory of Jesus to the praise of God the Father and death would come simultaneously on the cross at Calvary. And so Jesus says here, while I am the light in this world, I must be about the will and the work of the Father. The true disciple of Jesus, not knowing if God will give us relief from our current troubles, knows that the time is short and that we must redeem this time. Remember in John 8, 31, he says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciple. See, the true disciple of Jesus redeems the time by abiding in the word and living according to it and proclaiming it while it is still day, while you still have a voice, while there are still ears to hear the proclamation of the gospel, we walk in that light knowing that our days are short and numbered. The true disciple of Jesus redeems the time with a single-minded purpose of accomplishing the work and the will of God. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, And Jesus came and said to them all, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. See, the true disciple redeems the time by making disciples while there are disciples to be made. Though Jesus is with his disciples eternally, the world has you and I for only a short time. We have this message for a short time. We have people that we love that are perishing and going to hell all around us. We have only this time to proclaim the word of God to them, to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, to proclaim the grace of God and the glory of God to them. We only have a short time. So we are to do the work of disciple-making because death and judgment are coming. Death and judgment are coming to your neighbors, friends. And you only have a short time to do the work of calling them to repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So back to our text. Jesus delays coming to help Lazarus for two days. And again, it's because Jesus' overriding principle is to glorify God. And because He and the Father are one, the Father will glorify Jesus through the raising of Lazarus. Let's look at verses 11 through 16. After saying these things, he said to them, 
Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Not only is Lazarus' illness and death to demonstrate the overriding principle of God's glory and to show that since life is short, we're to redeem the time we have, but Lazarus' illness and death, Martha and Mary's unanswered concerns, and Jesus' delay is purposed for the sake of the faith of the disciples and others. The illnesses, the deaths, the delays, and the unanswered questions are in God's sovereign will. And they are for his glory, that Jesus would be glorified through them for the sake of the faith of God's elect and that which accords with godliness. And that you who hear this and see the tragedy and see that faithfulness and see that you are embracing the abundant, spirit-filled life that Jesus promised now in the midst of trials is for the sake of faith of the watching world that you might believe, that they might believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing, others might find that same life in His name. This is consistent with the purpose of John's gospel, isn't it? In John 20, verse 31, he says, But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you would have life in His name. We have the treasure of the gospel of Jesus Christ, don't we? In a temporal life that is troubled. But there's good news in the fact that we live this, in this troubled life because it is purposed. It's intentional. It is troubled for the glory of the life that is yet to come. For the sake of others, we have this treasure of the gospel in a body that is wasting away. The temporal life is giving way through death to the abundant life that is yet to come. I want you to just listen to 2 Corinthians 4, verses 7 through 18. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not de- uh, driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we, are, we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may be manifest in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so also we speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise, uh, also with Jesus, bring us with you into his presence For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for the eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. See, we've got to think of the temporal, the temporal life as a storage container for the permanent promise, right? Our temporal life is just a storage container 
for the permanent promise of eternal life given to us by grace through faith. We are to treasure the gift of the gospel more than we treasure the vessel that we carry it in. We treasure the gift of the gospel more than the vessel that we carry it around in. In the temporal life, we are afflicted, perplexed, struck down, carrying with us the death of Christ, given over to death that is at work in us. Our outer selves are wasting away, which Paul here says is a light affliction compared to the eternal weight of glory. In our troubles, we are not crushed. We are not driven to despair. We are not destroyed. Rather than all these things, we display the life of Christ in our mortal bodies, our inner selves being renewed, that the things unseen would be believed. We have become servants of Christ, even unto death, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth and that which accords with godliness. In verse 16 of John 11, Thomas says, Let us go that we may die with Him. If this is the life of Christ, if death is the way to abundant life, let us go with Him. Right? If... If the life of Christ, if, if this is the life that I have in Christ, if, if death is the way to abundant life, then let us join him. The abundant life is the principled life that redeems the time for the sake of faith, regards the temporal life as not a thing to be grasped. As Jesus did not take the deity as a thing for him to, to grasp and to lay hold on, it was what he laid hold on was the principle, was the principled life, the abundant life, was the glory of God. He hung on to that, the glory of the Father. That's what he hung on to was the principle of life. The abundant life is a principled life that redeems the time, that redeems the time and does not hang on to the temporal life, but rather takes hold of the eternal life instead and lets go of the temporal life. You see, we live not for ourselves, but for the glory of the one who saved us for the glory of the one who saved us. Now, verse 17, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, the one who is coming into the world. Jesus delays uh, to ensure that the glory of God would be on display. It was thought uh, at this time that one could rise on their own after three days in the grave. But after the fourth day, it was sure that the person was dead because the body had begun to decay. But Martha here, she displays a great trust in Jesus. He says, I, she says, I know uh, that you, if you had come earlier, my brother would still be alive. I don't understand the delay, but I do know this. I do know that if you ask of God right now, he will surely give you whatever you ask. I know this. I trust this. She says, she displays great faith. Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. 
Martha says, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. But Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. He will rise, Jesus says. I know and believe in the future resurrection at the last days, she says. I know about the resurrection in the last days, and I trust that, yes, yes, you will raise Lazarus in the, in the last days. I, I trust that. And Jesus simply answers in the first part of verse 25, I am. I am the resurrection and the life. It is to be claimed now. The resurrection life is to be claimed now. Yes, I will raise your body in the last days, but the resurrection life is in me. Simply that phrase, I am the resurrection and the life. It is to be received now. The abundant resurrection life is in me, he says. It's in me, and it is currently for you. Because he tells us in chapter 10, didn't he? That I have given them eternal life. The sheep who hear my voice and follow me, I have given them eternal life. I gave them the gift. It's theirs and no one can snatch it out of their hand. Not even the robbers and the thieves and the wolves that would come in cannot take it from their hand. It is mine to give and it is a gift for them to embrace and hold on to forever. It is theirs. They can't lose it. No one can take it. No one can steal it. It belongs to them. And Jesus here is saying the same thing. I am the resurrection and the life. It is yours to claim now. It is currently for you in me. Do you want the abundant spirit-filled life today, brothers and sisters? Do you want it today? It is yours to grab in Jesus right now. The world around us is troubled, and there's trouble in our own lives personally. But that overriding principle, right? The glory of God and that Jesus Christ will be glorified in it because he has given you and I the gift of eternal life to embrace now, the resurrection life, now we are to embrace. And paradoxically, right, we live that way, don't we? As if it's already and not yet. As we, we know that there's a resurrection coming, right, from the grave, that our bodies will be united with our spirit in heaven, but, but, but we also know that paradoxically, we claim it now. We live it now. As if it's already and not yet. Keeps us living in hope, doesn't it? In the hope of eternity. Who is it that receives the treasured abundant life now? It is those who receive it as Martha does in verse 27. By faith. Yes, Lord, I believe. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ. She receives that gift of eternal life to be embraced now. The abundant, spirit-filled life that she's to embrace now by faith. Who is it that are included in the kingdom of God right now? It is those who confess the same thing with their mouths that Jesus Christ is the Lord, the Son of God. It was Peter who confessed that Jesus is the Christ in Matthew 16, of whom Jesus said, The Father has revealed this truth to you. You did not conjure up your own faith. This was a gift deposited to you, 
Peter. And then Jesus changes that to the plural when he says, you, meaning all, who share that same confession have been given the keys to the kingdom of heaven. What you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. What you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And I know that for some of us, we can think that that the church is all about who the leaders are, who the elders are, who the deacons are. But the church belongs to the church. The church belongs to the body of believers who confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the Son of God. Those who have been given the gift of eternal abundant life. If you do not have a voice in the church, the leadership has fired you. The leadership has fired you. They have taken the keys to the kingdom of heaven and put them in their pocket and said, only we know how to exercise these keys. You see, the leadership in the church, elders, pastors, our job, my sole duty and job is this. To instruct you in the scriptures that you might exercise the keys well. That I might guide you in how to exercise the keys to the kingdom of God well. That is our job as elders. That is our work. But your work is to exercise the keys. To do the work. To do the kingdom work. Right? That's, that's your job. I say it to our shame that in many, many churches we fired the congregation. We fired the church. We fired the church and said, I am here to impart something to you and I am going to, uh, I want all of the attention to be centered on me. It's all about me. And it's all about how you guys can serve me. When quite the opposite is true, according to the scriptures, the elders are to be shepherds like the good shepherd, the under shepherd, Jesus Christ, who said that he is the door, he's the way in. He's the way into the kingdom. He's the way out of the kingdom of darkness. He is the one who leads them in the path of embracing and grabbing a hold of the kingdom which God has deposited for them in Jesus Christ. That's our job. That is the job of the under-shepherd of Jesus Christ who leads his church. And then Jesus poses this great question, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die Do you believe this? I would ask us to contemplate that question this morning. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you believe that the abundant life is yours to grab today? Do you believe it? Are you living that abundant, principled life, knowing that this temporary affliction No matter what affliction comes your way, brothers and sisters, no matter what it is, this might not bring you comfort when it's actually happening because it still hurts. The pain is still real. The loss that they feel that their brother has died is still real for Martha and Mary here. It doesn't mitigate the pain that that we experience in life. But for us who have treasured and really embraced the abundant spirit-filled life, those who believe it. We have this overriding principle that God will glorify Christ in no matter what situation I'm facing today. God will glorify Christ through it. 
and that God the Father himself will be glorified. And that is my abundant, overriding principle. It is what we want to live as our principle. Our principle is the glory of God, friends. I know that I, I have wrestled with this idea that, that the glory of God being the thing that, that defines us as, as Christians, as human beings. We find all kinds of definitions. And I struggled with this for years. Why? Would God be so egotistical that, that his glory is the, is the overriding principle that he, that he wants for himself? Well, frankly, because he's worthy of it. Frankly, it's because if anyone deserves glory, it's him. He's not being an egomaniac. He just looks at himself and says, this is what glory looks like. And so he should be all about that, shouldn't he? Not in a narcissistic way. It's just, this is what I deserve. This is right to glorify me. And we aren't glorifying him as we glorify humans, right? We're like, this God deserves glory. This God deserves praise. We glory in lots of things. Athletes, people glorify them. Movie stars, whatever it is, right? They glorify them. What a pale thing compared to the glory of God. And this should be our overriding principle, the glory of God. And, and Jesus poses this, do you believe this? And, and we ought to ask ourselves this, yes, I believe. And then we ought to ask ourselves, are we living this principled life where the glory of God is primary in all that we do? Are we redeeming the time by abiding in the words of Christ? And are we denying ourselves and our grasp of the temporary knowing that we have become servants of Christ even unto death for the sake of God's glory the sake of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness see this life that the scriptures is calling us to is not the one that you're going to hear in a university the university, they're going to tell you, grab life now. Suck the marrow out of it. Get what you can while the getting is good. Because it's short. But the life that Jesus calls us to is letting go of all of that and embracing eternal life to his praise and his glory. Let us take a moment of silence to allow God's word to have its effect in us. Oh, Father, we do praise you for your word. We praise you for the Lord Jesus. We ask by your grace that you would help us to embrace the abundant life that you have promised. That we would live today redeeming the time that we have here, knowing that this life pales in comparison to the eternal life that you have given us and that we will one day fully realize when you resurrect us. But we live our lives now thinking like Colossians says, we set our minds on things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand. We live in light of our inheritance as Ephesians says that all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places are ours to live now. Help us, Lord to see those things even when times are quite troubled.
in Jesus' name. Amen.